Thanks for tuning in to the Zonal Marking Podcast. This is a special edition, an extra snippet, if you will. Those of you who read Michael Cox's stuff on the Athletics site will have seen that this week, one of the articles he's written was about Pep Guardiola. Specifically, what new tactics might we see from Pep when football returns? It's classic Cox, uh, creative and entertaining and interesting about Pep Guardiola and his tactics. Now, off the back of that piece, Michael joined the Why Always Us podcast. That is the Athletics Manchester City pod. He joined David Mooney and Jack Pitt-Brook, and they discussed this piece on potential tactical experiments that Pep could go for when football resumes, and also a more general chat about Pep's tactical approach. We said we're going to start with um, Guardiola's tactics. Michael, I'm interested to begin with to hear how much you think Guardiola's approach to studying opponents and in video analysis, that sort of thing, is different to other managers. Uh, if they're all doing it, why is why is Guardiola so successful? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think the interesting thing about Guardiola is when he first came around as Barcelona manager, there was this uh, sense that he... He just had one way to play and he, he you know, he, he focused solely on his side, a little bit like Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, who didn't look at all at the opposition. But it gradually became clear that he was just very studious, very in-depth and very good at, um, I think, finding the right balance between finding, you know, weaknesses in the opposition and, and getting his side to, to do what they're good at. So look, I, I just think he's a very good coach in, in a number of ways. And, and part of that is is obviously perfecting the passing patterns that we've seen work so so excellently over, over recent years and and the other is yeah the other side of the game which not as many managers like him are, are so good at so um uh, yeah I think it's rare where you get a manager who can combine the the two sides of it almost the Wenger approach of um you know the attacking passing football and the Mourinho approach of looking at the opposition and reacting accordingly. Jack, I often think Guardiola doesn't get... I mean, it's weird to say this, that he doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes. Just because whenever City lose a game or whenever his tactics are a bit off the wall and it costs City and they don't don't get the three points, we always say, oh, he's he's overthought it. He's he's just thought too much about it. But then when it does work, he doesn't get the credit for doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think overthinking... Overthinking is a criticism which is only used when it goes wrong. Like, City have... You know, people say, "Oh, well, if he'd only stuck to Plan A, City would have won." But in reality, like City have played, City have diverted from Plan A quite a lot this season with some success. Like the game at Old Trafford, the League Cup semi-final first leg, where they played that sort of strikerless four-four-two with De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva up front. That was very, very different from the normal approach, and it worked brilliantly well. And it's not, you know, I'm not taking the piss here when I say City should have won that game seven-nil. Even when they won at Real Madrid 2-1, which was actually not that long ago, although it feels very long ago. <laughs> again, again, City played a kind of slightly unusual 4-4-2 and it wasn't the normal system and Gabriel Jesus out on the left and it worked really, really well. And so clearly the City are not... Um, clearly Guardiola does sometimes experiment and it succeeds, but I think people like to use overthinking as a stick to beat him with. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly though it's it's not been a season where it, it's been the ultimate success in the Premier League. Let's say, uh, Michael, you've been speculating. City have kind of got ten free games now, so you've been given given like you've almost given them a free pass to try whatever they like in the in the final ten games, haven't you? Yeah, well, it's kind of like more what I'm hoping for rather than what I expect. But <laughs> yeah, like you say, ten games. I mean, you look at the kind of 
you know, the professional gamblers and the statistical modelers, they think this city have a 99% chance of finishing second and a 1% chance of finishing third. So considering, you know, the difference between second and third doesn't even matter. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola can just have some fun. Obviously, um, you know, if, if those Champions League games are played and we really don't know the situation with that, then he'll be preparing for them. But, you know, it could be an unusual format. We hear the Champions League games could be kind of condensed in one block in week-long period or something. So it could be that, yeah, there are just these 10 games where he can have complete fun with and, and hopefully just come up with some tactics and some ideas that he, you know, he likes and, um, you know, maybe wouldn't do when City are kind of going for the title and, and every point counts a little bit like last season. So, yeah, I just hope there's a bit more experimentation. And uh, if ever there's a time for thinking or indeed overthinking, then I guess this would be it. It's the next 10 games, isn't it? I mean, in terms of, of the Premier League position, Jack, like, like we were saying, I think we were saying a couple of weeks ago, with the, with this European bang hang, hanging over them, all they need to do is finish outside the bottom three, which they're going to do. So they kind of have free reign to do whatever they like. I mean, I've, having looked through uh, some of some of the things that Michael's calling for, one of the things seems to be uh, getting De Bruyne to get more balls into the box in, in, in dangerous areas. Um, he's been a key player for City this season. Yeah, De Bruyne's been great. I think Michael's right that so much something De Bruyne is incredible at is pulling out into that kind of uh, David Beckham zone, for want of a better word, like out out on the right and whipping those kind of curled crosses in, which always seem to kind of bend round the back of the defence and then meet Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling at the far post. Yeah, he's been fantastic this year. The problem with De Bruyne is he's so ridiculously good in so many different ways that you, there is almost no perfect way to play him because if you've got him in one particular area doing one particular job, you're always thinking, well... I kind of wish we had him 10 yards further back or in the middle or, you know, so, so ideally you'd want to have four or five of him on the pitch. And unfortunately, Guardiola is limited only to one. <laughs> Michael, what, what would you do? What, like, in a perfect world, you've made a couple of suggestions. What would you do with De Bruyne? Well, I should probably start by saying, I mean, personally, I think De Bruyne has been the best player in the league. You know, obviously Liverpool have run away with the title, but I think De Bruyne has been the best individual. So this certainly isn't a kind of, you know, how can we get the best out of De Bruyne thing? Because I think he's been fantastic. But I just look at a couple of games, for example, that loss to to Liverpool uh, back in, was it October or November? Um, I just thought that it was a rare occasion where City's passing patterns looked a bit predictable. And, you know, we know how much De Bruyne loves making those runs into the inside right channel, which works so well, for example, in that game against Tottenham, when I think he put in maybe the best individual display I've seen this season. But Liverpool were really prepared for that. And Fabinho was always tracking the runs into that channel. And I just thought that was a situation where uh, City needed to do something a little bit different and maybe get him in a wider position. And throughout that game, they were always... You know, I can't remember who was playing on the right that day, but it's usually been Bernardo Silva or Mahrez. They've always been like right on the touchline to increase the gap in the channel for De Bruyne. I thought that was a game where they could have used a system with the wide player coming inside, De Bruyne overlapping a little bit more. Um, and then if it's Fabinho who's been tasked with marking him, then you create a really difficult situation for him. Is he going to leave the centre of the pitch and go out and become an extra left back? Probably not. So then you're overloading the opposition left back and causing them problems. And I was just a little bit surprised in some of those games that Guardiola didn't vary his position a little bit more because Guardiola's a manager, as we know, that you know even if things are going well, he's not afraid to experiment and, and keep opposition teams guessing. I was going to say, in terms of uh, of the difference to City, though, what, what difference would it make to, to City to have De Bruyne a bit further wider than, than he is normally? Well, I just think in certain games, for example... 
you know, I was looking at the the fixtures that City have coming up or or hopefully have coming up when we resume. One of them is against Burnley and, you know, Burnley are a limited side in some ways. But I think they're maybe the best team in the league at being really, really compact and really narrow and just preventing the opposition from finding any gaps in that block of eight players, the defence in the midfield. And obviously they leave so much space out wide because of that. And, you know, another, you know, one of the more obscure ideas I had, which I don't necessarily expect to happen, but I'd love to see was to use De Bruyne as a right back in that game. Because if you're playing against Burnley, the one player you're scared of on the counter-attack is uh, Dwight McNeil, who's been fantastic this season. So if you were to play De Bruyne as a right back and just get him to play, you know, almost as a bonus right winger, not only would he be finding space uh, on the outside of the team and, and have opportunities to whip crosses into the box. And City have crossed the ball a fair amount this season, but it hasn't always been from you know, really dangerous positions. Um, not only would you get that, you'd also get McNeil, who's the most dangerous uh, player, forced to become a kind of second left back. And, you know, that's what Guardiola loves to do. He loves to drag opponents out of shape and and ensure that they can't play their natural game. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest it if if uh, City are playing the Champions League final tomorrow. But like <laughs> I say, with these, with these 10 free games, why not have a little bit of fun and experiment? And even if it doesn't work out, maybe you'll just improve a, a different aspect of one or two players' games that could be useful for next season. I don't know about you, Jack, but we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm getting uh, Alano at right-back vibes there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's what City need. Particularly, in, in, I think Pep would have... I mean, I say this as a joke, but it's also what I think. Like, it would be nice, to, it would be interesting to see Alano playing with the kind of Pep era team. And I'm sure Pep would, I mean, look, Pep has never seen an attacking midfielder that he, a technical attacking midfielder he didn't want to crowbar into the side. So I'm sure he would try and find a place <laughs> for Alano. God knows where. Maybe at left back? Maybe, maybe I, I, well, I, I, if anybody can play at left back, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the problem City have yeah. had recently. I, the, the interesting thing about all this, though, is that um, I, I can't remember the, the exact game. It was either Newcastle or Huddersfield um, last season at the Etihad. Uh, Guardiola wanted to get more attacking players into the team, and he just decided, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to play a right back. He looked at how the opposition were going to set up and decided that his his back three with a one full back on the left and two centre halves would be able to to, to, to kind of cover it. So uh, maybe that's not quite so left field as as you as you think, Michael. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same actually. Um... Like you, I, I couldn't quite remember which game it was that he did that. And indeed, I didn't even bother to go and look it up. So, um, <laughs> me neither. Poor, it's OK. Yeah. Poor research for me on that front. But yeah, I, I do recall a couple of games where, yeah, there was just a player covering, whether it was John Stones at right side of centre back. Obviously, Fernandinho can cover ground and is intelligent enough to fill in. So, yeah, it, it does feel like, you know, this is a manager who is is comfortable playing with almost a reduced back line, I'd say, not even necessarily a three-man defence. Like you say, sometimes it just appears like a four-man defence without a right back. Um, and, you know, De Bruyne, obviously he's not a natural defender. He's very much a, a natural attacker. But, I mean, he's got the physique to defend properly. I think he's got the energy to track runs. I think of him as a very tactically disciplined and tactically intelligent player. And he's the kind of player who you kind of fancy could play pretty much anywhere. I mean, it's like that old debate. If you had, you know, 10 of the same player in, in a team, who'd be the best one in the Premier League? I think De Bruyne would probably be quite quite close to being that player for me. I just think he could pretty much play in any position on the pitch. I'm interested though, Jack. One of City's issues this season, I think, has been not necessarily been creating the chances, but actually finishing them and and, and scoring the goals when, when they've created it. Um it just seems to me like like wherever you put De Bruyne or wherever you wherever you create these chances from, the problem has still been not getting the ball in the net. Yeah, well, I think City's great strength under Guardiola has been 
creating very, very good chances. Like that's clearly how, you know, the classic Guardiola goal where the ball goes <clears throat> down to a fullback or whatever and is pulled back into into the six yard box to create a tap in for Aguero or Sterling or Sane or whoever is clearly geared towards creating like high quality chances. And that's how City scored, you know, have scored what's it, hundred goals in each of the last two seasons or whatever it is. I wonder why that's faded this a bit this year. I don't know. I mean, it looks to me with the naked eyes if Aguero's finishing isn't much worse than before. I do think Sterling has hit a big, big finishing. Uh, what's the best way of putting it? Drought, maybe. And he was fantastic for the first few months of the season, but since October, October or November, his finishing's collapsed. And maybe that's why City aren't being as ruthless as they were in previous seasons. I suppose it also helps if you score a few penalties along the way. That's uh, that's been an issue as well. Um, something else from from Michael's piece, Jack, was was uh, the idea of getting a left footer out on the left. And um, certainly in his first two seasons, Guardiola was very keen on on certainly Sane wide left and Sterling wide right, really stretched the pitch. Um, but he's not done that in the last couple of years, and it, and it feels like something that he might want to go back to. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I remember traditionally he would always want to have either Sane or if not Sane, then Mendy, if he was fit out on the left to give City that width. But obviously Sane's missed all of this season and Mendy is not no more reliable now than he was when City signed him three years ago. But if you don't have if you don't have Sane or Mendy and you're left with, say, Zinchenko as the left back and then uh Mares or Sterling coming in from the left hand side then you don't then you don't have an orthodox left footer out who can stretch the play on that side and it means that city's play has been a lot more has been a lot more narrow it's frustrating really because city's best football has generally been with either a mendy or a sane in the team i mean generally pep wouldn't play both of them at the same time but if you don't have either of those two players then suddenly the game gets quite constricted and i mean it's I wonder whether that is one of the main factors as to why City haven't been quite as potent going forward this year as they have been in the last two seasons. Michael, do you think it'd help Sterling as well to be back on the on the right hand side if if Mares or Bernardo played wide left? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I tend to think with Sterling that he plays a similar kind of game from either side. But if I had to choose, I think he's probably been better on the right. I really liked it when City played with Sané and Sterling down the flanks and kind of attacked in behind the opposition more. Um, and yeah, I think maybe just for, it sounds silly, but maybe just for a change of scene almost for Sterling because his form in this calendar year hasn't been particularly great. And I think sometimes just by shifting a player's position, you just get them to think about different things. Sometimes there's just a freshness that kind of reinvigorates their play. So yeah, again, I've been a little bit surprised that Guardiola hasn't tried that more. Um, and I think it's probably been, maybe not amongst City fans who watch the, the team week in, week out, but in the kind of general punditry I've seen, there's been a surprising lack of focus on the fact that City really in their title winning sides um, generally played with, with two natural wingers, if you like. And this season, they've really played with the wingers coming inside. It seems like quite a big change. Um, and although City have been creating chances and missing them, you do wonder whether they would benefit from uh, going back to the, the type of way they played a, a couple of seasons ago. Do you think it would affect Mares? Because I think I, I think behind De Bruyne, Mares has been one of City's best performers this season, and he's he's always played wide right, cutting in into the left. And if you put him over to the left hand side, could it could it change his game too much? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I mean, I've like like you say, I've never seen Mares play there. Um, I would like to see him play there just just to have a look at it. Um, but yeah, I think it's fair to say that his type of game probably is. You know, far more than someone like Sterling is is dependent upon 
being on the right and cutting inside onto his left foot and, and generally trying to shoot from, you know, 20 yards edge of the box position. So, yeah, I think it would unquestionably change his game a lot. But again, you know, City haven't had that option going down the line on the left. Like Jack says, not just because of Sané's absence, but because Mendy has, has not quite become the player that we expected when he signed from Monaco. So just to have occasionally that proper left-footed option, you know, stretching the play a bit, I think might uh, might bring something different to the team. Now, Michael, I wanted to ask you when I when I read the piece, uh, I, I just wanted to check: is is everything okay? Are you all right? Because I read the words "Rodri is an attacking midfielder," and I was worried you'd had a bang on the head or something. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess that was one that was uh, questioned by a couple of people. But yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it kind of refers to a, a specific game um, when Bayern, so Guardiola's Bayern played Dortmund back in 2013. It was the first time that uh, Guardiola had faced a Klopp side and. What, from what I remember, I mean, he was so kind of scared of Dortmund's pressing that he almost went a little bit long ball, a little bit route one and basically played, I think, Mandzukic up front and uh, Xavi Martinez, who was usually a defensive midfielder or sometimes a centre-back for Guardiola. So kind of like what Rodri does. And he played at the top of the midfield triangle and for the first 10 or 15 minutes was almost like this supplementary target man kind of thing. And um, yeah, it was a strange game where Bayern actually won 3-0, but they won 3-0 with goals in the last 15 minutes. So it wasn't necessarily the tactics at the start that really uh, created the breakthrough. But I just found it interesting to see Guardiola doing something that absolutely no one would have expected. And I think of Rodri as a pretty similar player to Martinez, you know, at their respective peaks. So, um, yeah, another one of those where um, I don't necessarily expect it to happen, but I, uh, I would love to see it. Jack, given that replacing Fernandinho for City in, in midfield has been a major issue for this season, um, I think the last thing you'd want to do maybe is, is is stop Rodri getting any of that development time, is it? Yeah, it's, I mean, the Fernandinho succession issue has been a really, really difficult one, hasn't it? Because he's so... We, we, we've seen that this season when Fernandinho's played at centre-back. Like, City can't... It's, it's not that City can't cope without him. They can't cope without him being in holding midfield. He's just so so important to the way they play, and look, I've been pretty impressed with Rodri. I think he's I think he's he looks really good. Like he's very good on the ball. He's a, he's been a little bit slow in terms of what he does off the ball. I think so far, but he's getting better. He's quite a big guy as well. He's not afraid to put himself about. But I still don't think you know you'd still probably rather have Fernandinho than Rodri in that position. Everything else being equal, so I wonder whether I wonder what the best way of you know, transitioning from Fernandinho to Rodri, which they are going to have to do because Fernandinho is very old. I don't know what the best way of managing that process is. Yeah, and in terms of uh, of, of a bit of a target man and height up, up front, uh, Jack, you, I mean, where's Eddie Dzeko gone? Where, where is he when you need him, the big man? I, I knew you were going to say that. I knew <laughs> you were going to say that. We both have we both have that love affair with him. That's the, that's the problem. Um uh, the interesting thing, while we're on the defence, um, Michael, I want to get your thoughts on, on how Fernandinho has slotted in there because um, I think City were caught unawares by a company leaving in the summer and, and, and just how kind of ramshackle the defence has been this season, given how much was invested in it in the last few years. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think um, it kind of goes back to what Jack said before. I think that Fernandinho's pretty much fine as a centre-back. I think the problem is just that then you don't have Fernandinho in central midfield. And I think the difference is that over the years, Guardiola has generally... His, his squads have generally had one fewer centre-back than you expect, and he's just turned a midfielder into a, a centre-back. But for example, at Barcelona, he did that with Mascherano, and he still had Busquets in the holding role, who was his first choice 
uh, in that position. It was a similar thing at um, Bayern Munich. He had so many top-class central midfielders, Xavi Alonso in particular. Um, it feels like a different situation to me now when he's actually moving his best holding midfielder into the defence. And so, yeah, for, for me, as an individual, Fernandinho is absolutely fine in the centre of defence. But uh, I just think that the lack of protection he gets uh, from him not being in midfield really is the the bigger issue for City. And like you say, they've they've struggled to move on from him in that position because he's just, you know, he dominates it so well. And, and to a certain extent, I think, you know, Guardiola built this side in this 4-3-3 um, with him in mind for that position. So it's not surprising that others have, have struggled to play it exactly as he does. I'm interested. Just just talk me through what you mean when you talk about um, rotation in defensive positions, because this was this was the one uh, of, of your suggestions that I couldn't quite visualise very well. Yeah. So, the, so this was. Um, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah. One again. One of the more uh, obscure ideas, but just because we've seen. I mean, we've seen Guardiola dropping centre backs. Sorry, central midfielders into centre back. Um, and we've also seen the midfield positions taken up by fullbacks. And considering that City have players like John Stones at his best and Laporte who can move out to fullback, I just think almost like you could have three players who rotate those positions. Um, so the the midfielder would drop to centre-back, the centre-back moves wide, the fullback drops inside, which again sounds crazy. But when you look at what Atalanta, for example, are doing this season in Serie A and indeed in the Champions League, they kind of do a similar thing with with four players actually in their three-five-two system where there's almost two diamonds down either side of the pitch and they basically just constantly rotate and drag the opposition out of shape. And I know that Guardiola will be watching Atalanta closely because for me, they've been the most interesting, the most exciting attacking side in Europe over the last 18 months. And they're very good at just dragging the opposition out of shape and finding gaps to play through. So it's just those little nuances that I think he'll be focusing on. You know, obviously he's, he can't really work with the players on the training ground at the moment, but working on in a kind of, very theoretical and technical level. Um, and I just think there's a good chance that we will see a couple of things in the next few months if football does resume eventually that uh, we haven't seen before. Why do you think this season's not worked out as well for him as the last couple of seasons? Has, has it just been a case of, of that Liverpool have been so good? Yeah, a little bit of that. I, I think the finishing you touched on earlier. Um, I do wonder whether, you know, there's there's a a slight element of coming to the end of a cycle with this with this team. And obviously there's a couple of players who, who will be moving on, David Silva in particular. And I think, you know, in the past, Guardiola has been keen to refresh the side. I remember when he left Barcelona in 2012, supposedly his conditions to the board, um, if he was going to stay on for an extra season, was he wanted rid of, uh, I think, Alves, Piquet and Fabregas, who were three quite you know, established players, quite first-team players, but he'd fallen out with them for some reason. I'm not suggesting that he's fallen out personally with any players at City, but I think that, you know, he's a manager who likes to to evolve. He likes to keep opponents guessing. And um, yeah, maybe there's just a sense that it's been the same group for one too many seasons. Um, but, you know, there's so much potential within this squad. There's so many players who I think will will step up next season if Silver, well, when Silver leaves, that will give more time to Bernardo in a central position. Obviously, Phil Foden will see more of him. So, yeah, I don't I don't uh, foresee City being this far behind Liverpool next year. I, I think if the season was to start again, I'd, I'd put them pretty much uh, 50-50, to be honest. 
Well, Michael, thank you very much for, for joining us on this episode of Why With Us. If you'd like to read Michael's piece uh, and find out some uh, some football ideas that are being thrown at the wall for Guardiola for the remainder of the season, uh, you can sign up to The Athletic now and get a 40% discount with the code MANCITYPOD. Michael, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.